0: Good afternoon. Please turn with me to Luke 24. Um, a lot of the sermon today will be coming from uh, the School of Missions. We had the privilege of uh, attending School of Missions down in London about two or three weeks ago, and uh, it was very inspiring and very helpful, and we were definitely able to learn a lot, and um, there were a couple of people from Birmingham there as well. And also, the teens have heard quite a bit of, of that, of some of that as well, from from they. Uh, so, if you have any questions after the sermon, you may well as well also go and ask the teens, as they're experts. <laughs> so, the title of the sermon is a "Burning Within," as you can see right there. Um, uh, in Luke twenty-four, we read in. Um, Uh, starting in verse uh, 31, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road, and opened the scriptures to us. That's actually what I pray for today, as we open the scriptures, that our eyes may be opened, and our hearts may start burning. Uh, even more, or for the first time, maybe. Um, either way, uh, let's uh, move up a bit in Luke um, 24, uh, verse 13. The, the situation basically here is Jesus was crucified and resurrected again. And now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about Everything that has happened, as they walked and discussed these things with each with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, "What are you discussing together as you walk along?" He stood. Sti- they stood still and fa- uh, face downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, "Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem?" and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Here we see two men that are disillusioned. You know, what what they were hoping for didn't happen. And so they were disappointed. Maybe that's how you are feeling right now. You know, you think this Christian life isn't the way I thought it would be, you know. Um, or just with life, you know. This life is not what I was hoping to be. Um, um, but they also had doubts they didn't believe some of the things that they heard. in fact, they didn't even go to the tomb themselves so little uh, faith they had and um, maybe that's where you are today you're you're discouraged or you, 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 do, you think maybe I am crazy after all believing that the Bible is the word of God I mean or you know maybe the Bible was just written by people after all and they just made up their stories um, uh, by themselves. Or maybe you know someone who argues that way or thinks that way uh, at work or in school. And uh, what, what do you answer them? What, what kind of answer do you give if someone says that to you? Um, in verse 25, we read on, he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, ex- he explained to them what, has, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to uh, go and see what was said and prophesied about Jesus before he even actually lived. And I'd like to show you some fascinating things from the Bible and that no man could have written all this stuff by himself without guidance uh, of a supernatural power. And, and I, I want to start by sharing what I believe uh, of how we got the Bible, of the origin of the Bible, in 2 uh, Peter one twenty-one. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, according to this Scripture, what 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 was the chain of events that, that happened, and what does the Bible claim about itself here? It says, basically, that God... Um, Convey this message through the Holy Spirit to men and they then, again, they, they wrote the words down uh, on scrolls initially and later in books and stuff. So, um, you know, it, it, it also says that these men didn't write their own ideas or opinions down. They, they wrote down what God wanted them to, to write down, what uh, God inspired them to write down. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. You know, today we're going to look at a few reasons why I believe that this claim that we just read in 1 Peter 1 20, uh, and 21 is actually true about the Bible. And why no, no man could have written the Bible just without divine inspiration, without inspiration from God. The scripture in Isaiah 53 that we are going to read now was basically written by the Prophet Isaiah. Uh, about 700 before Christ. Uh, we start in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and was esteemed. we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his sorrows we are healed. You know, according to this scripture, why did he have to suffer? It was for our infirmities, which is basically weakness, whether it's physical or mental or um, character weaknesses, uh, but also emotional weaknesses like sorrows, you know, emotional pain, especially the kind of pain that nobody else can understand. And it, he also suffered for, um, to pay for our sin or transgression, as it says in this scripture, to bring peace, truth and peace. Um, I, I, and, and, and to heal us, to make us whole again. Um, I would like to share a little bit about, about my life and um, how this, you, you know, how I experienced these things in my life. I, I grew up in a somewhat religious household. My parents became more and more religious as um, my brother and I approached teen years. Maybe they needed more prayers and faith. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Um, and, you know, I got sprinkled as an infant. They call it baptism. Uh, I don't. And, uh, you know, I never particularly, I don't think I was a very rebellious teenager, but I didn't particularly appreciate my dad's efforts to have feminine devotions, devotionals. And uh, I read the Bible for myself on and off a little bit. I read according to a plan, maybe two to five scriptures each day with a commentary going recited. But I never went into the Bible and looked for answers and guidance for my life and, uh, you know, what, what, what God's purpose for my life and, uh, and, and things like that. So it was very selective, basically, what I read. And it was comforting, uh, that it was. And, you know, as a teenager, I, I also realized that I actually have sins and I felt the burden, the, the guilt, the shame of, of my sin. Many of which were hidden. Some weren't. Um, I didn't treat my girlfriends with the purity that God wanted me to. I was angry. I, uh, When I was out and about, I seemed very calm to people. But at home, I was often, uh, the anger would burst. And my parents would um, get their share of that. Or my brothers. Um, but I never had the courage to confess or speak to someone about it. To seek help with it. Um, I was basically just a prisoner and a slave of, of my, my own sin and, and um, I was shamed, I felt guilty. I definitely had no peace, as uh, it was described earlier. Um you know, I, I, that was like active stuff that I did, but then it was also passive stuff, I read stuff in the Bible that I knew I didn't do. Like, um, you know, uh, speak of Jesus freely and preach the word, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and I didn't see the people around me, in my the, the people that also believed in God, I didn't see them particularly doing those things either. Uh, I had no peace about that either. I, it kept coming back and kind of bothering me. Um, later, uh, when I was 20, I got invited by someone to study the Bible. And, uh, you know, I was so amazed that, I, I mean, I, know, I knew this guy... I barely knew this guy, and he opened his life and confessed to me his most embarrassing sins. And I was just amazed. I've never seen that in a believer, uh, especially not in those that, that I knew for, for many, many years. And for the first time, I was able to confess my sins as well. And it was such a relief. Uh, I felt like such a burden came off my heart. And like it was like, really like the light of Jesus and his suffering really... And and his death really shining into the darkest corners of of my heart. Uh, And I cried on the way home. I still remember the study in McDonald's and and going back home. And um, shortly after, I made Jesus Lord of my life and uh, got baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And um, my sins have been washed washed away. And I finally had peace. Um, And, uh, you know, he was starting to heal me, and he is still healing me today, and I would uh, like to stand here and say, you know, I don't sin anymore, ever since uh, my wife is going to speak to my wife no, um, uh, you know, but today the difference, the big difference is I know how to reconcile with God, I know um, how to reconcile with others, and and ask for forgiveness, and apologize um uh, we read on in Isaiah 53, verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to sin to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shearers, he, he is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. What did others do to him? You know, when we read the scripture, what can we see what others did to him? You know, uh, earlier in verse 3, we read he was despised, he was rejected, uh, he was oppressed, afflicted, and eventually killed. Um, you know, they made his grave with the wicked. Actually, Jesus was executed with two convicted criminals. Um, they made his grave with the rich after he had died. Uh, we know that a wealthy man, um, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus' body and put it in his grave. We know he was a rich man because it, the Bible says so, and because he had a, a grave prepared for his own body, one day, cut out of stone. And only rich people could afford that. Um, and we know Jesus, all he possessed basically was the clothes that he was wearing, so he certainly wasn't rich. And it wasn't logical for Jesus to be buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, he would have had a, a, a poor man's uh, funeral so to, so to speak uh, so it certainly wasn't like the logical thing that could have happened it's amazing remember we're still 700 years before Christ and we read that he was buried with the wicked that's I think that's really amazing let's turn to Psalm 22 uh, this passage now was written about thousand years before Christ by King David And I think many or most of you have probably read it before. Psalm 22. Uh, We start to read in uh, verse 14. And poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a a poster, uh, like a potter, sorry. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, people stare and gloat over me. You know, what was this person feeling physically? Extreme dehydration, you know, his tongue was sticking to the roof of his mouth. So that uh, is an indication for extreme di- dehydration and the bones were pulled out of joint. So typically someone who has been tortured on like a torture rack or something, uh, it has the, the um, bones pulled up out, of, out of joint. And heart pains, weakness, and surrounded he's surrounded by evil people, and um, he's pierced, his hands and feet are pierced, as it says here. And uh, he also says, I can count all of my bones. What do you think, what event is this describing here? Yeah, it's the crucifixion of Jesus. And just think for a minute. I mean, this was written thousand years before Christ even was born. And three hundred years before the Babylonians even invented crucifixion, it describes somebody being crucified. You know, it says, pierce my hands and my feet. I mean, what else would it describe than a crucifixion? I mean, it, I don't know about you, but it, it gives me goosebumps to really, to even think about that, to read that, to, you know, uh, think about how God put those things together. Let's now turn to Zechariah 11. Actually, you don't need to turn there. We have a slide. Yeah. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the thirty silver, the pieces of silver, and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. I think everything's clear in no. I think this this is a very um, confusing scripture. It's kind of bizarre scripture. Uh, but let's let's have a look at it in detail. Let's break it down. So first, we see that um, who's speaking in verse thirteen. We say we can read that the Lord said to me. So the Lord was speaking, and uh, the price for the Lord was how much? 30 pieces of silver. That's right. So, the receiver of the money... What did he do with those 30 pieces of silver? He threw them into the house of the Lord. To the potter, right? And... Um, the house of the Lord... To a Jew... That back then was clearly... The temple of God in Jerusalem. And the receiver... So, basically the scripture is saying... The receiver of 30 pieces of silver threw the money into the temple, and somehow it made it to the pocket into the pocket of the potter. Let's turn to Matthew. Matthew twenty seven. That's in the New Testament now. And uh, we basically now move forward about five hundred and fifty years in time to Matthew twenty seven. So in Matthew 27, starting verse 3, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned to 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It's against the law to put put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. So we see that Judas gets paid 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. And what does he do with the money? He goes and throws it into the temple. You know, the priest took the money and purchased the potter's field. So the potter who owned the land ended up with 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. Now, how amazing is that? Remember when we read in Second uh, Peter 1 that, you know, the chains of events of writing down um, scripture or prophecy. Uh, you know, the writers of the Bible did not write their own thoughts or uh, uh observations or opinions, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what God wanted them to write. I mean, there's just no way that either uh, Isaiah, David, or Zechariah, you know, the, the the three writers that we just looked at, even understood what they were writing. I mean, you know, they, they couldn't have known these things and they couldn't have predicted the future on out of their own intellect. You might say, well, Jesus just deliberately probably orchestrated uh, the prophecy to be fulfilled. So he just made things happen. Well, just think of that. Think about that for a minute. I mean, like, the dead Jesus determining, like, say, picking his grave, where his body should be placed in. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, Or were the people that actually were involved in these scriptures, in fulfilling the prophecies, were they interested in fulfilling the prophecies? I don't think the chief priests were particularly interested in fulfilling prophecies about this man, uh, like saying this man would be the Messiah. And the the potter probably was totally oblivious to what, um, what was going on in terms of prophecy and fulfilling prophecies about the Messiah. And I also have a hard time believing that Judas... Thought went out this day and said, Let's fulfill some prophecy here. I'm gonna actually commit and it will end in my suicide, but oh well, at least you know, prophecy is being fulfilled. I have a hard time believing that one. Um, so, there's I mean, there's many other examples where you, it just doesn't make sense to, to argue that Jesus uh, just made it all look like fulfilling the prophecy. I mean, in some cases, he did, uh, but that's uh, for another day. So you might say, well, the prophecies were just simply written after Jesus actually lived. So they're not really prophecies, but more, you know, made up to be. There are two reasons why I believe that that just can't be true. One is just simply archaeological find, findings. They found Dead Sea Scrolls in, uh, I think, 1947 it was, that clearly help us date Scripture. And... Um, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah uh, 53 that we read, or 52 uh, that we read earlier, were amongst them. And the second one is, the second reason why I don't believe that um, the prophecies were written down after Jesus lived was, or is, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language and later translated into Greek. So, in order to be able to translate something, what do you need? Well, an original, right? Kind of makes sense. Um, and the, uh, the the Greek translation of the Bible of the Old Testament um, was completed two or three centuries before Christ was born. So there was was a time gap. Uh, just like that simple fact, you can say that between the writing of the prophecies and the life of Jesus, it was, or the birth of Jesus, it was at least two hundred fifty years. Um, and uh, But we know from archaeological facts as well that in most cases it was more than, or in all cases it was more than that, the original Hebrew text. So I hope I didn't lose you there. Um, but I think the conclusion is that we can date the scriptures that we read in Isaiah, in Psalms, in Zechariah. We can date those scriptures um, pretty accurately. Let's go back to Luke 24. Um, Luke 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I mean, that's what we just did. Isn't it? I mean, we didn't quite start with Moses, I agree. But we did look at scriptures from the prophets concerning Jesus. And if we continue in verse 31 of Luke 24. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened his scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them assembled together, and saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You know, one of the challenging aspects of for the um, Jew at the time of Jesus or even before that, um, you know, about the mess- messianic prophecies was that there were many, many, or are still many different prophecies about Jesus. Um, and many different aspects of his character. So he was, for instance, there were prophecies about Jesus being a priest. There were prophecies about Jesus being a conquering king. There are prophecies about um, him being a prophet or being a suffering servant. So they don't contradict each other. But um, what the Jews tend to do or tended to do was to pick what kind of they. Um, liked the most, if you will, or what they could uh, understand the most or could make the, make the most sense of. And I think... Uh, and, and kind of were putting on these glasses of these prophecies and were looking for Jesus with these glasses on. And I think that's what we see with these two guys. I mean, they were walking along and when Jesus comes, they say, you know, we were hoping that it would be the Re- the Redeemer for Israel. And I think they were actually expecting that um, Jesus would be a conquering king in a way, and that he would uh, redeem them, free them from the Roman Empire. And it didn't happen, so they walked away sad and disappointed and uh, with their face downcast. And, um, you know, that made it very hard for the typical Jew back then to see Jesus when he was actually standing right next to them, because they expected something else. And I think, you know, I, I hate to be the one to tell you that you may, be, may have a, an unbalanced view of Jesus, of who Jesus is. You know, the, the same thing can happen to us. Based on our character, our upbringing, our past, our even present, we may have, we may put on glasses about who we think Jesus is, or was, or, you know, needs to be. And, um, you know, this may be why you... Are skeptical or disillusioned because you didn't think it would be like that. Um, but I would like to encourage you to listen and consider, you know, for yourself what God says in His Word, like those two guys did. I mean, they listened, they considered what Jesus said uh, about Himself from the Scriptures. They spent time with Jesus, and you know, let. You know, let's let us all allow God to speak to our hearts from His Word and through His Spirit. And our prayer is really that our hearts start to burn, start to burn again, maybe uh, like it did for those two guys. So, I would like to give you uh, a challenge Um, uh, study, start studying the Bible. For yourself, if you or if you aren't doing it uh, on a daily basis, and, and maybe starting the Gospel of John and read about all the stuff that Jesus says about Himself, saying "I am," and then you know fill the gap. There's a lot of stuff that Jesus says who He is, and um, you know that that's basically what what Cleopas and his friend did. they they, they with the help of Jesus. They listened to God and were willing to be taught who Jesus is. If you're visiting with us, please speak to the person that brought you along and set up a Bible study and ask, you know, please help me. Uh, help me to understand Jesus the way the Bible describes him. And, um, you know, if you have been a Christian for some time, speak to some, someone in the congregation and ask them, you know, what do you think, or what's it, what inspires you the most about Jesus, about his character, about his life? And let's learn from each other about Jesus. And um, may our eyes be opened and may our hearts start to burn. Amen.